Hi, I'm Stacey Schmicker-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Every other week, we sit down with the stars of the design world to learn about their journey, where they are now, how they got here, and what they've learned along the way. Together, we'll get inspired, hear behind the stories from some of the world's most notable hospitality projects, hear the ups and downs of creating a business, and dive headfirst into all things design. From architects and designers to hoteliers and entrepreneurs, and all the multifaceted talents in between, join me to meet the passionate people who make up this industry. I think it's so easy to kind of rest on your laurels and and sort of you open something and you move on to the next thing. I think we are always, you know, constantly revisiting, constantly pushing, constantly seeing how the markets are evolving, people are evolving. You know, I think the way people have traveled has changed so much in the last few years, um, post COVID, and um, and just you know being able to kind of react to that. But I think it's just this—it's a constant pursuit for us, good and bad. <laughs> Your guests expect comfort. Your guests expect function and design. You need furniture customized to the unique needs of your space. American Leather Hospitality designs optimized sleep and seating solutions for every hospitality setting. Combining an engineer's efficiency with a craftsman's care, American Leather has made its mark as an industry leader, setting the bar on lead times and quality for more than 30 years. American Leather's signature product, the Comfort Sleeper, is the hospitality industry's gold standard for sleeper sofas. Supported by a solid wood base with no uncomfortable bars or springs, this is a sleeper sofa guests will want to sleep on. The Comfort Sleeper features a lifetime warranty, all customized to your unique configuration. In addition to sleeper sofas, American Leather Hospitality offers a variety of fabric and leather furniture for every level of hotel, resort, and cruise ship. Learn more at AmericanLeatherHospitality.com. Hi, I'm here with David and Kevin. Guys, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you guys? Great. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Nice to be here. Yes, it's nice to see you guys over video. All right, so we always start at the beginning. Let's start with you, David. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a small village called Salt, uh, hence the name of the uh, part of the reason for the naming of the company. Uh, it's about, that. yeah, my parents still live there now. And yeah. it's a very small village, uh, about 60 miles out of Manchester uh, in uh, northern England. Amazing. And were you creative as a kid? Not really. Um, I was, we always laugh about this. I, I was the youngest, I'm the youngest. And my brother was uh, truly the perfect child and the perfect student. Um, my sister, who's the middle child, um, I always blame her as being the bad influence on particularly on me. Uh, and I, I wasn't a big fan of school. Um, I guess I was fairly creative. Uh, I was much more, a, a, a doer than a, than a studier and, um, and liked, always liked to socialize and always liked to be in very social environments. Got it. And was there any kind of early moments of, hospitality or travel or anything that kind of might have given you that that bug early on yeah i my mom had uh when i was very young my mom was a, a school dinner lady 
Um, and so she was in hospitality in that way. And when I was in my early teens, she bought a restaurant and her and her best friend ran this sort of cafe restaurant. Uh, and every weekend I would work there. And that was, you know, my, my very first thing was I wanted to be a chef. And I loved the environment. I loved the fact that no two days were ever the same. And um, my dad was a policeman. And um, so he was much more sort of serious. And my mum was much more like hospitality driven. Um, and I took after her and always wanted to be, uh, wanted to be from an early age, wanted to be in hospitality and thought that I would be a chef um, early on. And then when I finally did go into a kitchen, I didn't like it. I much preferred the front of house. Um, it's the, the intense, and I have such respect for chefs because the intense pressure, the intense, you know, the heat, the, the, the small amount of time that you have to deliver something was just, um, was just way too stressful and pressurized for me as a kid. So, um, so I went back into front of house and then stayed there for the rest of my career. Okay. Well, let's pause there and go to Kevin and then we'll go back and bring it all together. All right, Kevin, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, out, out in the suburbs. Fun. Were you creative as a kid? I was. Um, I was kind of isolated kid and I did a lot of art and drawing. Um, I was fascinated with architecture. Um, so I was always holed up in my room, like drawing buildings and floor plans. Little did I know <laughs> where that would all lead to. <laughs> was there anyone in your family or around you that inspired you to do this? Or was it just innate? Yeah, I would spend every weekend at my grandmother's house. And she would always, we always go on like these crazy adventures. And um, she'd often take me to like big fancy hotels and taught me etiquette and how to like eat lunch with the old ladies and um and that was that i think early on i had such a fascination with hotels because of that it was just there was this energy in them that was really intoxicating to me as a kid and i was like i don't know what these are but i got like this <laughs> gotta do it did she live near you in denver yeah she wasn't too far away so um i'm not it's funny i look back on it now and i don't know why but like probably my parents were quite smart. They were like, all right, get rid of him all weekend. And um, <laughs> so gra grandma, grandma got me. And so she'd try to figure out how to entertain me. And off we would go. I was a willing <laughs> participant to go hang out with her and her old lady friends and uh, go to tea and lunch and do whatever else. I might have to use that method moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> my children be like, bye. See you. Um, that's awesome. So did you end up going to school then for design? I actually, so weirdly, like David, I was fascinated with culinary as a kid. Um, I did culinary school it, for my junior year of high school. Um, and then I, at this simultaneously, I got into hotels. I was very into food and beverage. I was a banquet server um, on the side and decided culinary wasn't quite the right fit for me. Similar to David, it, the kitchens are tough. Um, so I went into food and beverage management school, actually right out of high school, and thought that would be a nice balance of front of house, back of house. Um, and it was a hospitality accounting class that made me run screaming from that. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so it, it might have been like, a, it was like a foreign language. And um, 
So I, I shifted gears and then went to design school. And it wasn't until I moved to New York that it all kind of came. These seemingly disparate experiences all came back together in hotel world. Got it. Where was uh, the design school? Where did you go? Um, I started at the Art Institute in Colorado doing interior design. Um, and then I transferred to RISD and finished uh, there with a degree in interior architecture. Okay. And then what was your first job after that? Did, is that when you went to New York or? Yeah. So when I was at RISD, we were, uh, everyone was getting summer internships. I was a bit late to the game and uh, we had a job board and Starwood Hotels and Resorts was looking for interns for the design team for Sheridan in New York. And so I was like, this is great. I didn't realize that their offices were in White Plains. <laughs> so it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the vision of New York I had imagined uh, <laughs> being out in the suburbs of White Plains. But um, so I interned for the summer and then they invited me back to and, and hired me um, to work on the when they brought the Meridian on board, um, which coincided with me leaving college. And so that was my first job. And that was the moment where I was like, this is all of the things that I love in the world. I can do design I'm in hotels. I'm involved in food and beverage and all these other things. So, And it was an exciting time for Lay Meridian, wasn't it? Because you guys were kind of re yeah. reimagining what it is and should be and developing the brand. Yeah, there was a very small group of us. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of carte blanche at that point. It was really like, it was interesting about, it's where I learned about kind of, you know, how you can look at the heritage of something and pull narrative out of that and, and create something very interesting going forward. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, David, let's go back to you. So you, um, worked with your mom and then where did you go from there? What was next? So then, uh, not being a particularly good uh, scholar, shall we say, uh, I was much more the talker at school. And so at um, 15 years old, I had an opportunity to go to uh, higher education uh, and do um, further education in hospitality. Or um, I also got an interview and I went to become a trainee manager in a hotel in the middle of England, uh, a beautiful old chateau, uh, which was a luxury five-star hotel. And so at 15 years old, I left home and I went and moved in to this, uh, this hotel and became a trainee manager. And my first job was actually a bellman. So uh, back in the mid-80s, um, and we always laugh, is that the very first shift I had um as a as a bellman on a sunday night they always put the new the new team on on a sunday night because it was the quietest uh quietest shift uh to train on and we would change light bulbs and we would um we would clean the most disgusting things in the hotel and um but i i realized from literally from day one that i absolutely loved it and it, I remember the people, the team that I worked with, who I'm still friends with today. And, you know, I just loved this, this being a bellman, being in the sort of the center of everything that's going on in a hotel and, um, and, and meeting different people every day. And just the, the drive and excitement that you get from, from a hotel environment. Yeah. 
what do you think it was your secret to kind of get to where you are today? And because you had a lot of different stops along the way. Yeah, I, you know, I made the decision early on that I wanted to learn every aspect of a hotel. And so the training management program was really good for me um, because I could sort of sample into hotel, into different departments and see what was the best fit for me. Um, it turned out definitely the best fit was front of house, but I got to work in, you know, I worked in housekeeping for eight months. Um, and, you know, a little bit like we were saying on the chefs, housekeeping is is a tough gig in a hotel when you are, and, and we were turning 16, 17 rooms a day. It, we had a very, very tough executive housekeeper. Um, and, you know, you learned how to work in a pressurized environment, but also I learned how, how people, how to treat people, how to work with, within a team. Um, and so I spent literally six to eight months in every single department in, in the hotel from, you know, Bellman and uh, some time in sales, front desk, all food and beverage departments. And, and I really planned my own career. I moved then to London when I was 18 years old um, and got into more detailed front of house side of things with reservations in a large 800 bedroom property. Um, and, um, and, and just learned how all of the, and I think it made me better as a, as an employee because I understood when I was working the front desk, how housekeeping operated. So I understood you know, that you can't ask for 20 rooms at nine o'clock in the morning for all your Americans getting into London off the red eye. Um, and I carried on really until my mid-20s working in all different departments and then started to get into more management positions. Got it. And you, and you I mean, you play, you're, you're a hotel general manager, you... Um, for right, Sol Melia, right, and a couple other hotels, and then you ended up at St. Martin's Lane and Sanderson, right, for Morgan's. Yeah, so I was a, a general manager in London for a company called Thistle Hotels. They were at the time the largest London hotel operator. Uh, my first GM ship was running a three hundred bedroom hotel in a not so salubrious location in London. It's now super cool and trendy. At the time, it was it was not like that. Uh, but it was a great hotel to to cut my teeth on. Um, and I sort of, you know, my attitude was always go where I'm told to go. And, you know, and that was, that was, I think, one of the reasons why I'd been successful. And by the time I was 30 years old, I was running a 300-bedroom hotel in, in London. Um, and then I, I went to a, a general manager's conference and I walked into this GM's conference um, and I was by far the youngest person in there. Um, and I just sort of had this moment of, is this my future? Is this what I'm going to be doing for the next 25, 30 years of my life, working in sort of very corporate driven hotel environments? Uh, and Ian Schrager had just opened... Uh, Sanderson and St. Martin's Lane in London. And um, I, I received a call to go and an and interview for St. Martin's Lane and had the, the opportunity to meet Ian and was just blown away by the philosophy of, 
you know, of, of what I still today to consider a, a true genius in our industry. And, um, and he, you know, as, as expected, he, he wowed me for sure. And so I then really switched directions and, and went uh, and had to unlearn all of the corporate side of things and relearn real lifestyle and boutique and what that meant and how important, you know, he's, he, I remember day one, him saying to me, I expect the lobby and everything within this hotel to look the same as it did the day we opened the doors and it should never, ever change. Nothing ever gets moved. Um, it is, you know, it is maintained. It is, it, and, and, and that's very different from a traditional hotel environment. And to me, it was, it was wonderful. To me, it was, it was cool. It was interesting. Um, it was much more challenging in certain ways. Um, the, the entire team were much more creative. And so, you know, you had Bellman, our entire Bell team um, were all actors or models and all super creative. And so I think that was really, you know, in my, in my early 30s, I think working with Ian was where he lit the spark of my creativity and, um, and showed me that, you know, there was, there was a very different way to run hotels. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you stayed with him for quite a few years, and then you went to um, Andre Balaz, right? So I moved to uh, to then run uh, what had then become Morgan's Hotel Group, uh, looking after operations um, for all of the all of the properties out of New York, and um, had you know the company was expanding. It was a really exciting time for us, and uh, then I got the opportunity to. Um, to go to Andre Balage, and he at that time had literally just signed the lease for the Chilton Firehouse. So he wanted somebody that understood the London market to run his company. Um, and so I had, you know, what I would probably say is one of the best jobs in the world of running the standard brand on one side and then running the luxury collection of, you know, iconic hotels like the Mercer, Chateau Marmont. Sunset Beach, and then opening Chilton Firehouse, which was just, uh, you know, it was tough because I was back and forth between London and New York all of the time. But it is and will always be probably one of the most amazing projects and iconic uh, and iconic hotels that uh, that I've ever been involved in. For those that have never had the wonderful opportunity of going there, can you explain a little bit about what makes it so special? Yeah, you know, Chilton Firehouse is, it's only 27 rooms. It is a, a one, it's actually the second oldest firehouse in, in London and in an area where there were very few other hotels. Um, and, and Andre looked at this sort of blank canvas, this old firehouse and created, um, what his, 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 his focus was, that you would walk past it after it was opened and you would think it had always been there as a hotel. And so uh, with Studio KO out of Paris, we worked on, you know, creating this, this magical environment that's really behind a, a walled garden um, and that feels like it's been there forever, beautifully designed, very 
high-end service um, and just an incredible atmosphere. But then you have this really personal level of service in on the hotel side. And then you have this really energetic restaurant um, that is in where the fire engines would, would uh, uh, used to live. Um, and then a on the other, this incredibly cool bar where we had, you know, the true A-list of the world in this bar. And every night had this, this electric energy that was just on fire. And it was Andre... What I learned, you know, very early on with Andre and Ian and I is is how much time they invested in their project. And and I think that's really come on something to us of you can't create a wonderful environment and not be in it. You've got to truly be in it, truly live it and feel it. And Andre, you know, moved to London for for a year and created this new destination in london that was like nothing anybody had ever seen before and from a design point of view from an experience point of view um and anybody that listens to this that hasn't been you should go and you should experience it because it it, it is so different from i think any other hotel in the world and continues it's 10 years old next year um and you know continues even after so long of being just uh, such a special destination in London and such a talked about place. So you've got to work with, you know, argu arguably two of the greats in the industry. I mean, there's others, but um, what, what did you learn? I mean, I know you just mentioned a little bit of what you learned from Andre, but where Ian was saying everything should stay, you know, stay as it is and, you know, really kind of retain it's, you know, what it was meant to be from day one, you know, what, what did you learn from Andre besides this, like creating, you know, really living it and experiencing it on the design side? Like, what did he teach you, you know, when you're creating this hotel and the others? Yeah, I think um, attention to detail is, is, you know, never, never accept something that's below par for any reason at all. Go back and challenge it, make it better. Um, and, you know, I think, Andre is the master of pushing boundaries and to, you know, you would, I would sit in architectural meetings for the Chilton Fire House and, you know, you would have code consultants giving you all the reasons why you can't do whatever. And Andre would sit there in those meetings and say, well, I want to do that. And we're going to do that. And then to everybody else, figure out how we do that and let's push it let's push it further um and i think that his projects like chateau Marmont, the mercer the standard new york as well is everything was pushed to the absolute limit he never accept he never just took yes for an answer um and i think that that's the you know the easy option is always to take yes or the easy option is to say yes we'll do that and, you know that's going to work where i th think with with Andre, he pushed you to, and, and sometimes you'd be pulling your hair out and saying, we cannot do that. Um, and he would, you know, he would say, I'm sure you'll find a way. Yeah. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we did find a way. And so I think that that has been something that has taken 
that I've taken with me throughout my career, both from both Ian and Andre, is you know you can you can always push it a little bit further. Yeah, it must have been exciting too to work. I mean, for both of them and be part of you know Morgan's and then the standard kind of creation and launch, especially with his luxury properties as well. Absolutely, you know, was it was you know it was it was a very early time in our career in our life lifestyle hotels life cycle um you know there weren't as many as there are today and so um and it was the most incredible team it it was all about the team and i and i think both ian and andre surrounded themselves by the most talented people that you could ever work with and you know later on when we got the opportunity to work with under on the Asbury Park properties having you know under having spent 30 years with Ian is you know the level of talent that came from both of those stables were were incredible and I'm sure still is still is but you know for me it was working with them but it was also working with this this incredible talent that they surrounded themselves with and we all you know the number of overnighters that we all pulled to get the job done, to get whether it was an RFP that we were applying to, to get a new project, or whether it was the lead up to our hotel opening, everyone was in it together. And, you know, that, that really does create a very special moment and a very exciting time. Yeah. So Kevin, I want to come back to you now too, um, because then we'll get to Salt Hotels because I (laughs) feel like we're getting there. Um, So you were working at Starwood on Lay Meridian, um, which working for another industry visionary, Barry um, Sternlake, and then you decided, then you moved on to Morgan's, correct? Yeah, I was, uh, um, again, making that commute out to White Plains every day. And I was like, this is not quite the New York I imagined. Um, and had the opportunity. It was actually, Ian had just left. And um, Mari Balastrazzi was working at at uh, at Morgan. She left to take over. Sorry, she was working at Starwood. She left to take over design for, for Morgan's. So she made the phone call and was like, hey, do you want to come work in the city? And I was like, yes. And um, and I still remember the first day of walking into those corporate offices on 10th Avenue. And it was like, oh my God, like this, this is what I imagined, you know, New York design hotel company to be. Those offices were really special. And, um, and it was an exciting time. I think, you know, the company had just gone public. We had a lot of expansion plans. We had a lot of uh, the, the iconic hotels were at a point in time where they we're starting to need a little love and maintenance. Um, and that was kind of my first task was getting to, you know, work on these incredible properties um, and sort of interpret Philippe Stark's designs and and understand like, how can we start to refresh and maintain these and, and do it in a way that's sympathetic and, and keeps these products, you know, still feeling really interesting. So it was almost, um, I say I learned a lot through just the kind of inherent DNA of those projects. Um, and there was many days where we would laugh about like, what would Anda do or what would Philippe think with this or Ian or, um, and, and so much of those rules that like David spoke to of like, nothing is ever changing. That was indoctrinated in all of us. And, um, and it was really important because I think it taught me 
a level of detail that is just, you know, remains in my, in my career today of, you know, down to every little minutia thing. It's like, what is the paper on the card in the room and the font and like that font's too big or it should be gray and not black. And like, you know, just that crazy stuff that, um, is a lot of extra work, but to me, I think it really does, you know, create an exceptional environment that's memorable for people. That must have not been an easy task, though. How do you, you know, evolve a design, you know, for the next kind of generation without totally changing it, right? So totally, it's, yeah, it's a fine line. And how did you all approach that? It, it was very challenging. I think, you know, looking back on it now, I think some of it was more successful than others. Um, we were facing all kinds of challenges, like things weren't made anymore or um i remember at hudson hotel that fabulous bar upstairs that had the lit floor the floor um the technology that was in the floor when it was built originally in like 1999 was so far advanced but 10 years later it was so antiquated um that the only option was to take the floor out like it was just you know so it was we were up against kind of weird and wonderful things like that um to me, it was always about what, you know, each of those, each of those iconic properties like Delano, Mondrian in LA, they had these really strong narratives. And those, I think, were kind of our, always our, our jumping off point of like, all right, we gotta, we gotta freshen this thing up, but how do we continue to tell this story, but maybe in a little bit of a new or different way? Yeah, for sure. And is it at Morgan's where the two of you met? Yes. So um, I, it was not long after I had joined. Um, David was still running the two hotels in London, but the process of him starting to move to the U.S. was kind of in in progress. Um, and we all shipped off to Scottsdale, Arizona, to open the Mondrian in Scottsdale, which was a an interesting project. Um, and uh, it was actually my very first trip. I had started and Mari was like, you need to go to Scottsdale and sort this thing out. It's opening in like three weeks. And I think it's a bit of a mess. So I arrived by myself with Benjamin Noriega, the designer. And uh, he and I were kind of standing there one day of like, okay, we have three weeks to get this thing open. Let's figure this out. So, um, and then the corporate team arrived to kind of task force for opening. So that's when David arrived and we met. Um and it was a sort of quick week long romance. But we were we thought we were being really sneaky and no one knew, but we weren't very good at it. And um so we said we laughed that we broke all the rules. We we started a relationship long distance international long distance and working together. Um, but I think it has has led to our success over the years. Yes, for sure. I love that. So it was love at first sight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the rest was okay. history. <laughs> yeah. Um, so were you guys working together then from then on? Um, and then you left, right, Kevin, to do your own kind of, uh, not kind of, your own design firm. Yeah. So we we did work together just, you know, with David running operations and, and sort of me on the design team, there was kind of naturally just, I think it's when we formed our, we call them sort of our camps of, uh, what he's good at, what I'm good at. And they actually bookend each other really nicely. Um, So I think, yeah, like we just, we sort of stay in our lanes. And, um, you know, I think there are 
there's a lot of areas that we're very collaborative in. And I think a lot of that came from working together at Morgan's. It was just sort of, we understood each other's roles. For me as a designer, it was always about, I think, having a deep understanding of the operations, having come up through operations. Um, and, you know, it, to me, it's always this challenge of like, how can we push the envelope, but still make this thing functional? Like, it still has to work for housekeeping. It still has to be maintained. Like, and I think, you know, often that can get overlooked in, in hotel world. People are trying to do interesting theatrical things, but there's not a consideration or an understanding of how this stuff actually works day to day. And I think that that's where the two of us have always been in a really good lockstep with each other of, of pushing boundaries, but making sure that it still works. Um, so yeah, I was at Morgan's for a while and then, I kind of, frankly, was sort of burned out by the corporate thing and uh, was feeling sort of stuck and not creative. So I completely shifted gears and I started doing ceramics. <laughs> so I had a... As you ceramic, should. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I just needed to go in like deep in creativity. And so I had a ceramic studio in Midtown and um, I was selling on Etsy and in Etsy's infancy. And um, it was fun. It was not money making by any means. David was very patient with me at the time. Um, I had dinner on the table every night and that was about it. Uh, I was contributing to our world. Um, and then P-Town happened. And so that was sort of my next big step was was uh, moving up to Provincetown to deal with our crazy old house and then eventually Salt House, the first inn. Yes. So explain. So this is what, 2011-ish that you guys purchased and opened your first hotel? Well, opened yeah. your first hotel, maybe purchased it earlier. Yeah, we, we went to P-Town, we fell in love with it. And um, and then we ended up, we looked for an inn first because we were like, oh, that's what everyone's dream is, right? Everybody wants to run a bed and breakfast. Um, yeah, same. And, and we were like, hey, we're, we're in hotels. How hard can this be? Uh, so we found a property that we loved, um, couldn't make the deal work. So we walked away from it and ended up buying a house instead. Huge project. That was not our intention, but old 1700s house that was a restaurant and had to be converted back into a home. So I, having nothing to do, left my ceramic studio in New York and moved up and lived on an air mattress with some string lights while David was still running companies in New York and, uh, dealt with this crazy old house for a while and then at that point another season had transpired and the the owners of the inn came back and they were done they were like okay let's make this deal work so um david had a very fun moment where he called me one after one evening and he was like hey so i think the game plan with this is we'll just hire a manager put them in there they'll run the inn for a couple of years and then eventually we can kind of transition out of new york and we'll go there I was like, well, doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, I'm already up here. I mean, I don't, there's parts of this business I don't know about, but how hard can this be a bed and breakfast? And um, little did I know that that was his whole strategy. He was, he never was hiring a manager. He just needed to get me on board. So, um, well done, David. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. It's when it becomes Kevin's idea. It's a very Mm -hmm. good idea. And I learned that early on. (laughs) He's very good at manipulating that. (laughs) Secret to a successful relationship. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we both kind of jumped headfirst into the inn. And um, it was a massive learning curve. Um, Not easy. And even despite, we laughed 
to this day, we still laugh. It's like we have run or been involved in, you know, some of the most iconic hotels in the world, big hotels, massive corporate operations, running a 15 bedroom bed and breakfast almost killed the two of us. <laughs> what was it? Was it just all the little details? Was it that it was like a historic property that had to be redone? Was it the location? I mean, was it all of it? <laughs> all, all of the above. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I laugh it with people. It's like, you go from having a team of people to like, you have to do it. It's like the pipe broke. You got to figure it out. Um, you know, you're doing the housekeeping, you're doing the check-ins, you're doing David at night in New York would get home from like a long day at work and he would do revenue management and reservations. Um, but probably I mean, having was, two jobs wasn't easy. Yeah. And it was it, exactly. And it was, it was, you know, accounting and all of those aspects of running a business that, that frankly, you know, when you're in a corporate environment, you have a team of people who are, who are doing all of those things. And suddenly, like Kevin said, you're doing everything yourself and, and you don't have, you know, a part of, I think the beauty of working in a larger team is you have people to to bounce ideas off and to to say you know well we've got you know whether it's a revenue management decision decision or a finance decision and you know we just had the two of us and Kevin's sort of bouncing ideas off me I'm bouncing ideas off him and I think that was how we again solidified how well we can work together because he knows nothing about revenue management but would you know it was a good discussion and a good a good thing for us to uh to talk about and so the same with design i learned so much listening to him and so it became it became so valuable but it it was the biggest shock we thought we knew it all and realized we knew very very little um what did you love most about it though cuz obviously you love something that kept you going <laughs> Oh, it was, you know, there's, it's funny, like on the flip side of that, doing everything yourself is really rewarding. And I think, you know, it was like every day it was, you know, every decision that was being made was our decision. And therefore, like we created this world and you got to have really, you know, personal conversations with guests. Um, and we got to do all the things that we loved, like cooking. You know, I cooked every day for breakfast. And um, I know seeing what just... you post on Instagram makes me hungry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and I know it's you, which is crazy. I mean, I know now you've grown yeah. up your team, but still, I know you guys are still very involved. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just for both of us, um, it was getting to to really do the parts of the industry that we love the most and getting to do it sort of every day in an environment that we were controlling. Right. Okay. So you start with your first one, 2011. Did you, was the goal to keep expanding or did it just kind of happen that way? Um, our goal was not to keep expanding, but everybody around us was like, well, of course you're going to start a hotel company. And that was news to us. Um, David was, quitting his job we got to a point yeah. where there was like stability in our world so he could leave new york and we decided that we would kill each other if we were working day to day in the same building so he started looking for another hotel in p-town because he was like how about you have this one and i'll take another one <laughs> okay the plan was to to really you know 
enjoy this beautiful place, the province town. Really, you know, take a take a more calm life and approach. Get a get a dog and walk on the beach every day, and um, and then you know we realized. I think for me, the realization was talking to our guests and hearing how much they were loving what we were doing. And you know, I realized that we were onto something. I realized that you know you can have beautifully designed properties with wonderful service and a personal touch and you can do all of those things and so it was um it was a case then of they're like okay no dog and let's get a second hotel and that was even house and as kevin said it it you know it allowed us to have sort of separate separate areas where we could be every day but still do you know, still do a lot of things together and still bounce everything off each other. And um, and then literally as as that hotel was coming together, the opportunity of the Chiquit on Shelter Island came at exactly the same time. So, um, so we ended up opening both properties at the same time um, and started to then bring in a, a wider team to help us help us grow um and you know again then it's a whole new set of of fun and challenges and everything else as we're like hotels in multiple places um but it was it was definitely the a really exciting and fun time and as you expanded how was there an ethos you wanted each of your hotels to have i mean i know they're not cookie cutter by any means but like was there something that you guys started thinking about, like this should be salt, like this is what we should be or want to be? So I was adamant at the beginning that um, this was always going to stay small little B&Bs. Um, I was like, nothing over 50 bedrooms. You know, the Chico was like 30 bedrooms. That felt like a nice scale to me. Um, when David departed New York Life, he got approached to consult on the Asbury Park projects. And he was kind of doing that on the side and then it came time for like operator discussions. And he was like, I think we should do this. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, that is not, that is not a B and B that's a big hotel with multiple food and beverage outlets. That's not what we're doing. And, um, and I, I kind of held out for a while. I was like, that this is not happening. Um, I couldn't. And in fairness, like I couldn't wrap my head around how we could have like, salt house in p-town at 15 bedroom like seasonal you know bed and breakfast and then be operating you know the asbury which is a big hotel with like you know multiple fmb outlets i didn't see where how those two things could connect but the more we talked about it he, he broke me down and convinced me um did he make it, it your a, idea it's a good move <laughs> uh, i don't know on that one i think that one you kind of just were like this is happening one way or another so <laughs> And for those that don't know, it's in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which was like seeing a revitalization. So it, it was a really big project for the area. Not only was the hotel a big project, but the entire kind of master plan was. Yeah. And I think that was the point when I realized that we could have a common thread throughout the, the sort of collection of hotels um, that really comes down to that attention to detail I think an authenticity in design and sense of place um, and service, you know, the kind of ethos through salt school and, um, you know, education and, and training that we do, but that, you know, guests can, can go to different hotels 
and it doesn't matter how big or small they are there's 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 a sort of feeling and experience that's consistent amongst them and that's something that we've really tried to maintain as we continue to grow you mentioned salt school can you tell us a little bit about us about it and how you teach you know what you teach and how you teach service yeah so salt school came about um and we laugh because i call this sort of my working girl uh realization moment of um we were i was in a meeting on on the asbury project and somebody had said you're never going to get great staff you know it's not an area known for hospitality workers and so it's just you know you're going to struggle and anybody who knows me that tells me that we're not going to do something is usually the the greatest moment of okay well then, then this will happen um and later in the day we talked about in a separate meeting about what makes a community and how do you how do you really um create a hotel that is connected to the community that it's in and so part of that community you know a lot of communities center around schools and the two suddenly came together and and then Kevin and I worked on you know okay well you know from my background where i didn't finish high school i had no formal qualifications and i ended up running some of the best hotels in the world and certainly some of the best companies as well and so i so we said well you know let's train let's train our own people let's invest in the very very beginning and create a hospitality school that is open to everybody that is free and that is teaches people you know the fundamentals of our industry and you know so much of what we do you can't teach in a classroom it has to be in real life but we focused the school and we called every friend that we have and said will you come to Asbury Park and will you help us do um help us you know educate this group of people on different aspects of hospitality and so we opened and and everybody said yes which was so phenomenal so we opened the applications uh that was probably the scariest part because i thought what if nobody comes what if nobody applies for what we thought was a was a good idea um and we ended up having over 400 applicants um the largest space we found uh we could accommodate 150 people so the first salt school in 2016 was a was 150 people in the boys and girls club of Asbury Park and we every week we delved into different departments of a hotel so would you know one would week we would talk about front office and housekeeping the next week we would talk about design and social media uh food and beverage um accounting revenue management all of the different areas and we got experts from within the industry um as i said we you know we called all of our friends and got them to come and talk to people and share their stories and how they had gone through the industry and what the industry meant to them and it really resonated with people of you know this is this is you know a good company this is an industry that i want to get into and then it started people started to naturally navigate to where they wanted to, which departments would be suitable for them some people it was like i i don't want to deal with the with the public on a day-to-day -day basis 
Um, but I love this environment. And they, you know, they moved into maybe accounting or linen rooms and things like that. And so, um, so it was the, the first one was actually 12 weeks and we've since abbreviated it down to eight weeks, but it's every Saturday. Um, and it's four or five hours on a Saturday morning. Um, and it's really a chance for lots of role playing, lots of fun, uh, really lighthearted. Um, and it's a chance for us to get to know the applicants, them to get to know us. And for also the biggest thing that I learned on in Asbury Park was to learn about the community and to learn about what makes the community special. And so when we're going in to launch a hotel, it, then we can make sure it is really targeted to, you know, to being part of that community and to, to, to get the most from the hotel and to get, because we, we always want people from the community to be part of everything that we do as, as sort of a fundamental facade hotels. What has that done running this school? Has it kept you inspired? Is there any, you know, kind of interesting takeaway from watching, you know, watching reactions and seeing people go through this process? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for it, it has changed us as a company. Uh, it's changed me as a person. I think it's become one of the most important things that we do as, a, as an organization is, is bringing people into our industry. You know, there are, especially now, post-COVID, there is, there are, you know, every, we, we see it every day that other industries are poaching our great talent. Um, and so um, it's really invested. It's, it's made us in, ensure that we invest our time in, in all of our team members. Um, it has drastically reduced turnover. Um, our team members feel that they're really um, invested in the company, in the hotel, Right. And and we've seen that as a as a tangible return uh, from a lack of turnover, um, and it's become, you know, a huge passion of ours that will carry on forever. Um, and you know, we have shared the Salt School story with multiple companies, um, and including some of the big boys who wanted to do, you know, freehand. As, as a hotel group were launching LA and they were, they had seen salt school and were like, okay, you know, how, how did you do it? And can you, can you help us? And so we helped them format freehand university. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's not proprietary education and attracting people to our industry is not proprietary to salt. It's something that we all have a responsibility to do. And I think it's, um, it's that passion. I would love it if, you know, even more of the big boys wanted to get involved in this and to, to attract new talent to, to the industry because I think it benefits us all. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Um, so you've also expanded um, outside of the East Coast, well, Northeast, you, you know, in LA and Miami. Can you talk about, let's go first, Aster, which is one of your newest, um, which is a, pretty cool um, concept and, you know, location. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you wanted to take that on and split coast? <laughs> yeah, we've been looking on the West Coast for a long time um, and just 
hadn't really found the right project yet. Um, this one came up and it was very interesting. Uh, it was a private members club. Um, it was the H club, uh, out of London that sadly closed during COVID. Um, the ownership group, there's a, a person that David used to work with at Morgan's who kind of approached us and said, we have this asset. It's kind of strange. <laughs> you guys are good at doing sort of odd, odd quirky hotels. What do you think about it? And for us, it was interesting because, you know, primarily it's a membership club. Um, we have uh, 35 guest rooms and uh, some pretty robust food and beverage, but the main focus of it is membership. And I think that was an interesting challenge to us. You know, LA is a very crowded membership market, especially post-COVID with people working remotely. Um, and for us, it was, we still saw, we saw opportunity in the membership model from a service standpoint. Like, how do you approach the membership model from a place of hospitality, which I think is maybe lacking in some other models. Um, and I think we also looked at it. It's funny when we started Salt House 10 years ago, um, we really looked at kind of breaking out the rules and there's so many rules in hotel world that was like, we were like, why are all these rules around you know, why is there check-in? Like who decided three o'clock is check-in time? Um, so we abolished that. We figured out instead how to operate to, you know, let people arrive when they want to arrive. And and we, we kind of work around that. And I think we saw the same sort of situation in, in membership world of like, you have to submit your financials. You got to submit your, you know, what do you do for work? You have to have three other members, uh, you know, vouch for you. Um and we were just like, this feels off to us. And so instead it was like, why don't we approach this from a community building standpoint? Why don't we approach this from a hospitality standpoint um, and see if that resonates? And I think it's been really successful. That's awesome. And there, I mean, I do think you hit on a point. There are kind of membership clubs that have become popular over the past, you know, five years. I feel like we write about a new one every other week. Um <laughs> Do you see that as a model that you guys will continue to look at that might be something interesting to add to your properties or just as another kind of option to add your element of hospitality to this, you know, kind of hybrid space? Yeah, I I think so. I, I think that certainly the interest we've had come to us post opening the Asta um, would indicate that, you know, we're on to something that's very interesting there. As Kevin said, you know, leading with hospitality. Um, you know, and we've learned a lot, like like every project, uh, but the, the Aston more than anything else of learning about how a membership operation runs and the, the demands of a member, um, which are very different from a hotel guest. And so learning through those, um, and it's fun. It's really interesting and it really allows you to do, um, to push the programming boundaries to, right. the, to the next limits. And so I think that, you know, we've Nantucket has a membership component. Uh, we're talking about putting a membership component into Newport, Rhode Island, uh, the same into Minneapolis. So I think that um, we will definitely continue to expand that. We will we will stay at the core of what we do as a hotel company. But I think you know that now includes a little bit more on the membership side of things. And also, you opened the Greystone in Miami. Um, what did you want to create there? Well, I think, um, 
Miami, we have a lot of nostalgia for just through Morgan's, you know, Delano Shore Club, David running standard down there. There's, it's such, we have lots of happy memories and uh, it's, it's such a fun, unique market in the US that we had also been looking there for a long time. And when the Grayson opportunity came up, it kind of felt perfect. It's, you know, 20th and Collins right in the heart of everything. It has, so many of the amenities of the the larger resorts that are on on the other side of the street on the beach side um but it's got this wonderful intimate scale and so again we saw the opportunity here of being able to provide really highly personalized luxury service um and and do it you know on this kind of one-to-one basis but still have a you know beautiful design and you get all of the amenities that's happening across the street. I think that's that's harder to achieve in the, in the bigger resorts. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, the other piece of this from a like a food and beverage standpoint is that a lot of the locals in Miami, they don't go to the beach. It's a very touristy thing. It's like someone's in from out of town. Let's take them there kind of obligatory. And um, so we were like, how do we start to attract those folks again and create that really dynamic mix of of locals in the hotel plus, you know, the, the guests that are staying in there. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job with that, with our food and beverage offerings. And, and just again, through, you know, initiatives like Salt School and our sort of commitment to community organizations down there. Amazing. Okay, so in sake of time, I want to dive into a couple other questions beyond projects. So, what do you think? Ha- what What do you think has been one of your secrets to success along the way with like for Salt Hotels and for working together? That's a great question. I think for working together, as Kevin mentioned earlier on, it's definitely um, you know dividing and conquering and having our own areas of responsibility um, to try and to shut off and that it's not 24 hours a day of salt hotels. Um, and I think we've got better with time uh, with that. Um, and, and I think for salt hotels has been really, you know, treating everybody, and I mean everybody with kindness. And it has been, you know, thing, something very important to us is having a company that truly looks after people, um, that cares about their owners and their employees and their leadership team uh, and their hotels. Um, and I think that that shows in the end result of that, you know, we, we do care. We, we have sort of one rule as a company, which is uh, no assholes. And it's, you know, it's something that we talk about a lot because there are, you know, we could probably do five or 10 times as many deals as we wanted to do. But, you know, for us, finding those right partners, finding the right deals are really, really important. Um, and I think really coming out with the, the, the sort of continuing to think about one size doesn't fit all and each hotel to, to kevin's point earlier on of you know certain hotels being 15 rooms and then you know we're, we're building a hotel now of 250 rooms you know there's there's massive two ends of the spectrum um but we can do that and they can still sort of embody the values of the company and staying true to those values amazing 
Kevin, anything to add? Um, I would add that we are, we're, the two of us are kind of relentless. Um, nothing's ever done or good enough or finished. So like, you know, even like Salt House is a great example of the kind of very first projects, you know, every single year it closes and it's like, there's a list. It's like, what, what can we, how can we make this better? How can we do this differently? And I think that that is, I think it's so easy to kind of rest on your laurels and, and sort of you open something and you move on to the next thing. I think we are always, you know, constantly revisiting, constantly pushing, constantly seeing how the markets are evolving, people are evolving. You know, I think the way people have traveled has changed so much in the last few years, um, post COVID and, um, and just, you know, being able to kind of react to that. But I think it's just this, it's a constant pursuit for us. Good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> and everything in between. Yeah. Um, what's one thing people might not know about you? I think for me, it would be, uh, I am a fanatical music lover and adore, love, love, love any live performance of, of any type. I love um, huge vinyl collection and music is, uh, music is an escape. Love it. Well, maybe Kevin, people didn't know that you are into ceramics. Do you still make ceramics? I don't, unfortunately, no. And it's actually, that's a good point. Most people don't. Um, no, I think it's something I'll come back to again at some point when I have time. Um, it's still something I'm passionate about. I think anything that I get my hands into. So like cooking is a huge part of my life. Ceramics, like anything that I can kind of craft and create with my hands. That is, that is, when I'm most happy. What has been your greatest lesson or lessons learned along the way? I will start with you, Kevin. Um, you know, I think it is to uh, follow your dreams and take those risks. Um, you know, I think when we started this craziness and, and doing this in, it was kind of a, like an overwhelming uh, thing, but it's been so wonderfully rewarding. And um you know, it's like, take the time to get out of your comfort zone. That's that's when growth happens. And I think it's uh, it's really scary for a lot of people. And I get it, especially like going off and, and working on your own. But it can also be one of the most rewarding things. Awesome. And David? Um, I think it is learning from everyone. There is something to learn from everybody that you work with, um, that you work for, uh, or that works for you, um, or that you come into contact with. And, and I think, you know, being a sponge and just taking as much as you can from all of those, those people around you um, is, is, a, is something that I've learned. I always love to learn. I still to this day, focus on what can I learn every single day and who can teach me something. And I think that I hope that never ends. And in, in, in our industry that is ever changing, I think it just, you know, there's always something new and never think that you know it all. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both for spending this last hour with me. It's been such a pleasure. Um, loved hearing your stories and uh, hope to see you, see you both soon. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Design's What I've Learned. 
If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.